Bueno. Hi everybody, welcome back to the Shaber Show. I am really excited about our next guest who is being part of the evolution of AI, robotics, and transportation. Ali Ahmed, co-founder and CEO of Robomart. Thanks for being part of the Shaber Show. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, Ali, I'd love to just know a little bit about your background. Sure, sure. Yeah. So I grew up in the Gulf. I was born in Kuwait and I, I spent a lot of my early years in the Gulf, Dubai, Kuwait, Qatar. But originally, my parents were from Pakistan. So then I moved back to Pakistan. I'm saying back, but you know, for the first time, I moved to Pakistan when I was um, you know, in high school. And I graduated high school from Karachi and then got into college. I did my bachelor's in business administration and then did my MBA. I did a couple of internships between the two. But after my MBA, I then got into the corporate world. My first job was with GlaxoSmithKline in Pakistan you know, the big pharmaceutical. And it was a little unique. Like I had zero interest in the pharmaceutical space. But, you know, once I got in, I thought it was a recognizable brand. It would be a good kind of learning opportunity for me early on in my career. And, you know, it was a multinational in Pakistan. Those are a big deal. And so, you know, I got in and within, I think, three months, I was promoted. And then I was promoted again. And uh, that kind of really kickstarted this trajectory and gave me the confidence that, hey, look, you know, I should uh, really try and maximize the amount of learning that I can get from different companies in Pakistan. So I joined Unilever as an assistant brand manager and then brand manager looking after the largest brand of tea in the country. It was called Brook Bond, and it was significantly larger in terms of sales revenue than Lipton. And most of my job basically entailed me going to different parts of rural Pakistan and uh, finding out how that tea brand was selling and performing. Very, very unique experience. And again, Unilever, you know, no matter which country they're in, is an amazing company to work for. And that was sort of my early experience before I moved on. I, I moved to Kuwait for a while where I worked as a consultant and then did a second master's in England at Lancaster University. I did an MSc in advanced marketing management and I had my MBA prior and then I did my second master's. And then I got into tech, like I'd always really wanted to be in tech and somehow I never really had the opportunity. Back then, there were not a lot of tech companies in Pakistan or, or the Gulf. But once I got to England, you know, I got into tech in a big way. And my first job there in England after graduating was with Groupon. Okay, that was yeah. very interesting. It was actually the UK company that was acquired by Groupon. It's called My City Deal. And uh, it was right. run by the yeah. Samwar brothers, if you know, right? The, the famous or infamous, however you want to call them, the Samwar brothers, famous for, for the rocket internet, where they would basically clone successful U.S. startups in Europe and Africa and Asia with the singular goal of being acquired. And they did this a number of times and got acquired a number of times and built, you know, a billion dollar enterprise on the back of this strategy. I haven't really seen a lot of other people do that effectively, but, you know, the Samwars had a down pat. So very interesting, you know, having an opportunity to work with them and learning how, you know, my city deal then transitioned and got acquired by Groupon and then went literally overnight from a team of 30, 40 people to 300, right? And at that time, Groupon was on the cover of Forbes as the fastest growing startup in history. It hasn't really fared too well after the IPO, I have to admit, but 
you know, it was an exciting time to be a part in, of Groupon back then and to be involved in tech. And that sort of kickstarted my journey. I looked around and I looked at these, you know, the founders of my city deal and the, and the early team. And I realized, you know, not to discredit them, they were incredibly, you know, incredibly great entrepreneurs, but it kind of gave me the realization that, you know, if these guys can do it, then I can as well. And they kind of motivated me. They gave me the opportunity to kind of, you know, incubate some of my ideas while I was working there. And I then just went, dived headfirst into tech. And I left Groupon in 2011 and started my first startup. And since 2011, I've built four different companies. I've been in tech uh, and building startups ever since. Well, thanks for sharing that background. That was actually pretty extensive and better uh, that you kind of accelerated the discussion um, before I even ask. And you said you've done four companies. If you don't mind, what were the four that you've been doing? Or at least before what you're doing with Robomart? Yeah, the first startup was, it was a tool built on top of Twitter. And this is in the early days, like 2011. And it was part of this startup weekend event where a bunch of people just came together, people with interest in tech. And it was called Launch 48. And we all just gathered together, spent an entire weekend, you know, crammed in this conference room. And, uh, you know, floated a bunch of different ideas and then landed on one and built the entire product over 48 hours. And then we ran it for a few months, I think probably six, seven months before, you know, it kind of imploded. But it was a fantastic experience for me, especially my first taste of entrepreneurship. And again, it kind of reaffirmed my belief that, hey, look, you know, if we can get a product live in 48 hours and, you know, it was a a pretty decent product. It had a bit of traction in the early days. You know, I said to myself, you know, I should be able to do this, you know, in a bigger way. And so I started Lootbox, which was my, I'd say, first real startup, right? Other than TwitBallet, you know, it was the first major startup that I did. And Lootbox, you know, I went into business with one of my childhood friends. You know, he had a great background in tech. He had, he had been a developer for many years. And my background was more on the business side. Over the years, I picked up a lot of development and, and tech. And, and, you know, I can do a fair bit of coding now, but Back then, you know, I was looking for somebody to complement my skills and experience. And, you know, we got into it. We started building a video messaging app where you could simulcast and video chat with up to six of your friends while watching content at exactly the same frame rate. And again, this is very early. I mean, there's a number of people that have done this. But yeah. way back then, 2011, we filed patents and we, you know, I actually hold patents for the tech that powers this. And so that was the first real startup that I really built. And we ran it for quite a while, uh, several years. At one point, we had a contract with Sony Music in the UK where we were building technology for them. And then eventually we realized that people just do not want to pay for, for content online, right? Like it's, it's a struggle. I mean, you know, Netflix, yeah. Spotify, you know, you can build sort of a subscription-based business around it, but having people kind of pay for individual pieces of content, whether it's a music video or, or a movie, it's just, it's challenging. And so we experimented, pivoted a few times, thought of other products to build. When I landed on what at the time was, uh, you know, a very unique idea for Dispatch, which was my second startup. And Dispatch effectively allowed people to request products through SMS. You could literally just text what you wanted and we would find it, buy it, and deliver it to you within the hour. And so that sort of kickstarted my journey into on-demand delivery logistics, which I've, you know, I've now been doing for a very, very long time. And at the time, 
you know, 2015, 2016, Dispatch was one of the fastest growing on-demand delivery services in the UK, but it wasn't exactly on-demand delivery, right? So it was a combination, conversational commerce, as well as delivery. And, you know, it took off like crazy. We had, I remember something in the order of, of magnitude of, of a million pounds of requests in the first month. Wow. Requests doesn't equate to revenue directly. Requests sure. obviously were things that people wanted and some people really requesting outlandish things on our app. But, you know, what we really kind of fell into this groove of delivering electronics and furniture and other things that traditional businesses just struggle to deliver. And especially on demand, it just, you just, Ikea was delivering, you know, within seven days and charging 30 pounds. And we realized we could charge 40 and deliver it, you know, within two hours. Like people would really, really value that. But one really interesting part of dispatch was food and grocery. So food in particular, we opted not to get into because there's just were so many food delivery options out there. But grocery was, you know, very exciting kind of open field for us to get into. And, you know, at that time, delivery for groceries would be next day. If you were lucky, you could probably find an evening slot, but it was basically booking slots and finding this window of two, three hours and hoping that, you know, you'd be at home when they would deliver. It was just a terrible experience. And so this is um, yeah. like Instacart and Uber and, and Amazon or whomever, I guess, the grocery stores in the UK did not have any presence for these kind of demand delivery. Is that correct? Or it was a little slow, as you mentioned. Correct. Yeah. But even these players that you mentioned, you know, back then they weren't really doing on demand as much. Right. So I'd say in the last last few years since the pandemic, you know, on-demand delivery of groceries has really taken off. But back then, it was still a big challenge. And yeah. so, okay. so that's another area that we focused on, yeah. And then, okay, so this is interesting. So basically, you had, and the reason why I'm interrupting uh, is you have actually a very interesting background of, gosh, like a little bit of biotech, a little bit of like brand quality and being part of like a company like Unilever. You have marketing strategy and growth with like Groupon. You've also been able to start a few companies, as you mentioned, with both like kind of communication streaming as well as chat and delivery, all this combined. And then, you know, I'd, I'd come back and ask like what some learnings, because I obviously some of which I've noticed, you said, how many years actually before I go into asking about uh, your, your, your obviously new venture, did you kind of run these companies, Lootbox and Dispatch Messenger? Lootbox, we ran for almost six years and Dispatch... For two and a half, maybe three years, a little under three years. And so now with this notion of like build quick, test, fail fast mentality, right? When you look back at those, do you feel like the timing was just fine? They were running the time frame they, they should have. Could you have like maybe shut them off earlier to start other companies or, or no? I mean, the learnings are so good that it's helped you out tremendously into Robomart. And I'm curious about that, like about just kind of the learnings you had from that. Yeah, no, that's a great question. It's very tough to answer. You know, I advise a bunch of startups as well. And, you know, it's very hard to tell them, you know, drop what you're doing and pivot, right? Historically, what I've seen is that pivots don't necessarily work out, but they get glorified in the media and, you know, in podcasts and other places because, you know, people pick up on the few pivots that did work. And they said, oh my God, look, Groupon was such a success. You know, they started out doing one thing and then they pivoted, you know, look at Slack. It, it was a game, it failed, and then they, pivoted and made Slack and such a success. But where do you go from building a game to building, you know, a chat service? 
it's a completely different product, right? So it isn't really a pivot. So with founders, it's really tough to tell them, hey, look, you know, figure out when something isn't working because on the flip side, you know, there's a lot of advice out there and a lot of experience shows that sometimes success is just a matter of powering through, right? And so I'd say the biggest lessons for me are having done it several times, you get a gut check. And this is really interesting. I've heard other founders talk about this as well. And uh, some of my old founders have gone on to do really, really great stuff. And, you know, they also talk about the same thing. Is that, so can you explain this gut yeah. check? Yeah, it's you almost know when your product is reaching product market fit, right? Like it's tough to know. And a lot of people are like, you know, what's the right amount of traction? You know, when do I know that, that my product is right for the market, that it can now scale that? And it often comes down to this gut check. And when did you, just, you uh, see this with Robomart? So with Robomart, the moment we launched our first pilot, we knew that this is a revolutionary way of getting goods. This is something that is going to take off, right? And it took us several years. Robomart's a little bit different by virtue of being a robotics startup, by virtue of, you know, the capital required to build the products. It's very different than a software company. Pure play software, I'd say, you know, you can quickly build a product, launch it, test it, see if it works, and then move on, right? With hardware, with capital intensive, with robotics, it's a little bit different. But for both, I think that gut check is always evident, right? The moment you get it in front of people, the moment you get either end consumers or your customers, whether you're B2B or B2C, using it, you will know whether it's going to fly or not. Yep, that's great. Thank you for sharing that. And I love that perspective of the gut check. When did you know, or when did you and your, I guess, co-founders kind of say, this is it? Like you've obviously had a little bit of background in delivering distribution. When did you know that, okay, Robomart, or specifically, you know, robotics with software and delivery, this is kind of the, this is the missing pieces. And I guess like, when did you come up with this idea? What was the problem that you guys were solving that you said, this is it because there are a few other companies doing this right now, right? One of which I think Uber acquired, but yeah, like I just wanted to kind of get your perspective, you know, on this space as well as your company. And like, when did you guys basically get into this concept? Absolutely. Yeah. So my co-founder, Imad, like we're three co-founders, Imad, Tigran, okay. and myself. And okay. Imad and I actually used to work at Unilever, what, 14, 15 years ago. And he was in ice cream. He was in brand management in, in the ice cream division. And he wanted to recreate the ice cream truck, but for everything else in retail. So he had the idea way back then. And, you know, back then there were no smartphones. There was no app store. His idea basically revolved around picking up, you know, a rotary dial phone and saying, send the store to me, right? And the store would show up. You'd be able to shop and buy all your goods. And that concept we parked because we knew that timing wasn't right. And when I moved to the U.S. 2017, I got in touch with Imad and I told him about my experience as a dispatch, you know, the lessons I learned, the things that worked, things that didn't work. And I had been, for a few years, a dispatch, I'd been working and thinking about autonomy and figuring out how to automate the processes, right? That is one of the biggest challenges to make delivery work. But what we realized is that this isn't delivery. What we've created is mobile real estate. You know, we're creating a better form of a store, a physical store, which can now be on wheels, can be mobile, can be high tech, can be checkout free, and retailers can effectively 
get it to their consumers instead of having their consumers come to them. Why would uh, someone like want this right now? Why would a retailer want this right now? Or like, yeah, just a retailer slash even a user. And I'm, I'm playing devil's advocate a little bit here, right? Like, uh, this is 2023, obviously. Why would I want to like, you know, have delivery to my house? Is it because most people now, let's say in tech, San Francisco right now is definitely like a good market for this. Mm-hmm. 75% of those office spaces are empty. So I'm assuming that's like the market fit, right? Or am I wrong? Like, are you looking, like, what, like I'm just trying to picture is like, okay, Robomart, Let's deliver it. Uh, what would be like the ideal? Is it like the ice cream company? Uh, did Unilever? You guys partner with them mm-hmm. as an example. So I'm just you know just trying to bet as a listener into this like what yeah. when will you Robomart and is it like right now? Can I order something and it comes to my house? Absolutely, you know, yeah, yeah. So it's a great question, and I think it's important to qualify the fact that this isn't delivery, right? And we get compared a lot, and I see. you know we. Yeah, a lot of people kind of lump us in with getting a store to come to you so it's a form of delivery, but we equate it more to physical stores, right? Physical retail stores. And the okay. biggest problem is that, you know, to build a new location, a traditional storefront is extremely expensive for retailers, right? It can cost up to $1 million to set up a small store and you have recurring costs of around 40000 per month just to operate it. Now, what we do is we give them the ability to expand their storefront by creating stores on wheels at a fraction of the cost. So this is great for like a pop-up or like if you're hypothetically like a, I don't know, a social media influencer that wants to do a pop-up, you don't want to buy a store. You don't want to maybe collaborate with another brand. You could be like, hey, let's work with Robomart (laughs) and I could go anywhere with this basically pop-up and just host my uh, up and coming fashion for this quarter or, or whatever. So absolutely. And- yeah. Yeah. I mean, retailers can deploy Robomarts to major events. You know, they can have it at different street corners, like vending zones, or they can get it directly to consumers on demand. And that third piece is what usually people just, you know, it's exciting. And that's why they kind of think that that's yep. the only model, but that's what we call store hailing. You know, the ability to hail a store, just like ride hailing services, uh, yeah. Without having to pre-order goods, without having to think about what you want and just physically shop at your doorstep is pretty exciting. So retailers can do any of those and deploy, you know, mobile stores through us. Yeah, awesome. Where are you guys at right now with the company? We have signed contracts with seven retailers to deploy a hundred robots. That's amazing. And where where are you guys located as a company and where are these kind of like partnerships going to be rolling out? If I don't mind asking. No, absolutely. Yeah, we're based in LA and they will be rolling out in West Hollywood, Santa Monica. And as we expand, we can start working with retailers to identify other, you know, locations across the US. You know, Texas is an area that we've been speaking to a number of retailers about. Uh, The East Coast, you know, we have a second headquarters in Baltimore to serve retailers on the East Coast. And so eventually we will expand. But right now the focus is on LA. Yeah, that's pretty exciting. And do you have a few of these RoboMarts live? Do you have like uh, the robots actually active? I, do you call, by the way, <laughs> excuse yeah. my ignorance, do you call it a robot? What do you call the product? RoboMart. Yeah, <laughs> we call yeah, it RoboMart. Yeah, it's RoboMart. So, okay, you got exactly. Yeah. yeah, these are basically robotic mini marts. They are RoboMarts. And yes, you know, we've started pilots in WeHo, West Hollywood, with, okay, yeah. with some of our pilot partners. And as we kind of roll out now, you know, the goal is to fulfill these contracts and get 
the roadmarks that have been contracted into the market? I guess there's a few challenges I'm seeing with the industry, with specifically robotics and growth. And, you know, I guess a good example would be like transportation, scaling, for example, Rivian, you know, this had a lot of news this last year, they keep delaying, right? They can't scale. So for example, they work with Amazon or they work with like other just direct consumer and they keep getting delayed and delayed. And this is a public company with a lot of quality talent, you know, focused on like a basically a electronic, uh, what do you call it, car, specifically SUVs and so forth. And eventually they're going to probably be self-driving. But, you know, like that's an example. I don't know if that's relative to what you guys are doing. Like, do you see that as an issue, you know, right now with long-term for scale, manufacturing these products? Is that something you're nervous about or no? Not necessarily because we see ourselves as more of a system integrator. You know, we build the entire software. We build the entire modules inside the vehicles. We don't necessarily need to own the vehicles or build the vehicles. You know, we use Metrises, Mercedes Metrises right now in our fleet. We have other vehicles that our fleet partners identified that are fully electric. And eventually we'll have custom driverless vehicles as well deployed. And so for us, because of that fact, you know, it's not exactly the same as an automaker's sort of manufacturing, you know, setting up a factory and delivering on targets. And, you know, that is a different business, I'd say. Okay. And where would you guys fit in with like a serve robotics, which these are like a, another robot company. That, and again, I know you guys are not technically, they're more like robotics focused on self delivery products. You guys are obviously being more of a, you know, a store pop-up kind of feel. Again, I'm trying to better understand this. And I, I bet you most of the listeners will better understand kind of like you, where you guys are positioning. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I know Ali Kashani pretty well. Serve, they've done fantastically. They just went public recently. Yeah. You know, Serve, Kiwi, Coco, you know, another dozen or so, maybe two dozen companies are building delivery robots, right? The critical differentiation is that these are robots that are on sidewalks, you know, other than one or two like refraction and maybe a few others, you know, virtually all of them operate on sidewalks. So they're sidewalk delivery robots. They tend to be on the smaller side. They tend to stock one order at a time and drive short distances. And the entire value proposition is for restaurants mainly to save labor cost, right? Automate the driving of it to save cost and allow restaurants to deliver within, you know, a few mile radius. That's Got their it. model. A lot of them have focused like Starship and focused around campuses. Kiwi, same thing. They focused around campuses. You know, I'm very intimately kind of, you know, I know that industry pretty well. But again, it's a fundamentally different and considerably different market to us, right? We are effectively mobile real estate and it's very different to delivery robots. So mobile real estate, let's get into that part now. Can you, outside of the say, just like, like a storefront, would you guys see like, I don't know, like uh, service providers like a barbershop getting into it or, or like a doctor or, you know, a vet or, or no, is that not what you could see as this? Like, I'm, you know, who would be like the best kind of partners and industries to work with? Yeah, no, that's pretty interesting. And then, you know, it's great that you brought that up, right? There's, there's a few other players, you know, Toyota and others have kind of created concept vehicles that kind of fulfill that vision, right? Not only retail or, you know, hotel on wheels or, or a barbershop on wheels. And that's great. But, you know, we want to focus in on the retail sector. And so service providers, 
you know, maybe in the future, I don't know. But right now, RoboMarts caters specifically to the retail sector. We have two variants, right? We have the RoboMart Oasis, which is our smaller retrofitted Metro's vans that we currently have deployed. Oasis stocks between 30 to 70 SKUs, and it caters specifically to ice cream shops, restaurants, and cafes. And then we recently introduced the Haven, which I think you might have seen, which is a much larger format RoboMart that is custom built for supermarkets, convenience stores, and other retailers. And it can stock, you know, two tons of product. Wow. That's amazing. Congratulations. Thank um, you. And then where are you as a company? How many like people on the team? You know, have you fundraised? Are you fundraising? Yeah, yeah. We're a team of 11. Recently closed a 2 million round, total funding of 3.4 to date. And uh, we've raised from some really great investors like Hustle Fund, Wasabi Ventures, W Ventures on the East Coast, SOSV, and a few others. And yeah, we are now just really focused on fulfilling these contracts that we've signed with companies like Unilever, Mars, Ben & Jerry's, a subunit of Unilever. We have Fatty Mart and a few others, which are more local players in LA. And we're excited to really scale this up. Wow, that sounds really exciting. Congrats. And it's good to see like a company you used to work with, like Unilever, actually partner with you guys. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, I don't know if people kind of think there was some connection there, but you know, the entire team that we've contracted with had no idea that I'd worked there. So yeah, know, there was no, no connection whatsoever. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's great. And, you know, with the time remaining, I am curious, like where, I guess, twofold. One, where do you see, you know, like the company this year in the future and what excites you about it? And two, where, holistically, where do you see kind of overall, like the overall markets and how they're going to grasp like the, the consumers and and the market's grasping like the future of like robotics and consuming that? Yeah, yeah, no, it's a great question. I think, you know, one of the big, I mean, we're, we're really fortunate that we've had so much inbound interest from retailers. You know, we've, we've been fortunate to get a lot of press coverage, which helps and it helps kind of build awareness. But then one of the key aspects of what we're doing is when we talk to retailers, we tell them that in retail, location is everything, right? I mean, this is yeah. something that, has been touted for, for decades, if not longer. And, you know, what's better than having a store that can be relocated on demand and have it go to where the demand is? And that's if effectively what we provide retailers with our stores on wheels. Additionally, we give them a full suite, right? So, you know, some of the concept vehicles I mentioned earlier are sort of, you know, just focused on building this vehicle or the, the shell, if I can call it that, and that's not good enough for retailers, right? They expect retailers are going to then build the software, figure out how to do store hailing, figure out how to, you know, build the inventory management, all that stuff around it. That just doesn't fly. What we've realized is that we have to give a complete solution to retailers. And so what we offer them is a white label service. They get their branding. They get effectively, you know, in-store, on-store advertising, both on the screens inside the RoboMarts and on the wrap outside. And when they have a fleet driving around, it serves as mobile billboards. They get access to the inventory management system that we've built, which is proprietary to us. They get access to a predictive AI algorithm that allows them to figure out ideal locations, where to place road marts, and they get access to our fleet management. So it's a holistic offering that we provide retailers. And I think what's really exciting for me as we kind of grow this business is that we recently, I mean, I say recently, but it's probably been close to a year now we were granted the patent for self-driving stores, 
Wow. Congratulations. Thank you. And any other kind of, I guess, again, future things that you're excited about up and coming or any announcements that you have would be great to share right now? Yeah. I mean, we just announced, uh, we just kind of unveiled the Walmart Haven, which is slated for 2025 and kind of custom builds for supermarkets and convenience stores. But, you know, I can leave you with this, right? So our vision is to be the largest developer of mobile real estate in the world, right? And we expect that we're going to have more than 100,000 roadmarks supplied to retailers by 2030. That's the vision. Wow, that sounds really exciting. And again, Ali Ahmed of uh, Robomart, thank you so much for sharing all this information about uh, your company, yourself, your story. And I hope everybody enjoyed it on the Chaubert Show. Thank you, Chaubert. Really appreciate it. Have a great day. Thank you.